Why, hello and welcome. Welcome to the Peer Pressure Podcast. I am Diane, sometimes known as Diane Kamikaze, and I am your host. The reason why I do this podcast is because I like to say I am a champion of heavy music. I've always found my favorite songs since I was a young kid had riffs, hooks, were either metal, hardcore, hard rock, or punk, or something fairly aggressive in attitude and sound. And I am all about appreciating the people that keep that world going, whether they're musicians, webmasters, other podcasters, record label and festival owners. It's important to me to recognize what these people do in that realm of music. So I am here to bring them to you in a different context, more than a Wikipedia entry or a press release, a little more personal and a lot more fun. I'm a rocker for life, and I hope these episodes do make a difference. Send me feedback at diane at wfmu.org. And my Facebook page is Diane Kamikaze Farris, Rocker for Life. Like my page there, and I will keep everybody updated on podcast episodes in that space. Thanks so much for listening, and stay tuned. And hello, Diane Kamikaze here. My guest today is Martin Ware, founder of the Human League, Heaven 17, producer, writer, performer. The original live interview was done on September 7th, 2017. You can find the, uh, the playlist to the entire show at wfmu.org slash playlists slash shows slash 74751 or go to the WFMU website and if you put in interview with Martin you'll find it easily. Martin is spelled M-A-R-T-Y-N but that should make it very easy on a search for you. There's a lot of Heaven 17 and Human League music on that show which won't be included in what you're hearing now. And it's all great music, so yes, I would go back and listen to that. Martin's current ongoing uh, project into 3D audio is called The Illustrious Company, and I would urge you to check it out because it's rather mind-blowing. He is, I would guess, some kind of a, a genius. 3D audio and the studies that go with it are simply amazing. So that website is Illustrious Company. Dot co dot uk. You can also check out his movements on heaven17.com. And 17 is not spelled out, it is just the numerals. And today's interview, we talk a lot about Heaven 17 because when I spoke with him was before they came to the US for the very first time to play. So please welcome the multi talented. Martin Ware. Stay tuned. My very special guest today is Martin Ware. Martin, are you there? I am. Hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, the wonders of modern technology. Yes. And let's talk about modern technology because you were a pioneer. Um, 
when technology was sort of stumbling along a little bit. Um, Heaven 17 is going to be coming to the U.S. in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I can't wait, to be honest with you. We've been trying to get a, a kind of American tour or, or maybe it's just a couple of single dates together for the last 10 years. And we got very close a couple of times and then the whole thing fell apart and we were very upset. Uh, but now it's actually happening. We are going to be there and you are going to be able to see us perform live. And we're also doing New York as well. We're doing, obviously, yes. um, Long Beach and um, we're looking forward to both shows. Yeah, Long Beach is the uh, the Music Tastes Good Fest. It's listed on, That's as, right. as September 30th and October 1st. I'm not sure which day you guys are playing. Uh, we're on the Saturday, so the oh. 30th, I think. Okay, and then, uh, and then here you'll be in New York at the Highline Ballroom on September 27th. Yeah. It's a wonderful That's venue. Right. I, I Oh, my goodness, you're going you're gonna to love it. And I know so, so many of the... Um, of, of the things that we've written in the past have been written kind of with America in mind. You know, we've been, you know, written albums about America. Yes. You know, bigger than America, and uh, and um, which we got quite a lot of abuse from some right wing dudes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can imagine. That's America for you. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but um, no, we 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 are. It's always been a. Um, since we were growing up and uh, starting our musical career, America has seemed to be a, a, a kind of something to aspire to, a shining light. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, we're all in a state of disillusionment about the way things are going at the moment. Yes. Um, not only, uh, not only uh, in the UK, but in, you know, in America as well with Trump and everything. But, you know, we are... We, it has been an inspiration for our music, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we're so glad we're able to bring our, you know, the best of our back catalogue to play for you, really. And um, is there going to be an, uh, a lyrical update to Fascist Groove thing? Well, you know, you'll have to wait and see. <laughs> uh, we have done it. We have, we have done a lyrical update uh, a couple of times before live. Uh, it would... I think be a missed opportunity if we didn't in New York, and it's something different for people to put on online as well. In there, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And um, so I want to uh, just sort of go back to when you were starting to make music um, yeah. in the Human League, and I mean the sounds that you were getting—that was not like, you know, it, it's very easy for people to lump together like digital. Uh, sampling and um, and things that are really really easy. You know, I can yeah. buy something really cheap and just start playing around with it. Yeah. And, and That's right. you were you were really messing with sounds before that was easy. Yeah, to be sure. The um, I mean, you got to imagine this is a bit like Jurassic Musical Park. We were. <laughs> We were doing stuff in in 1976, 77, even prior to the Human League. That were that was three years, be, three four years before MIDI came out. Right. You know, um, and um, there were no samplers. There were no. There were hardly any affordable um, synthesizers, and it's really um, the kind of post-punk phase. Well, punk kind of inspired us to think, just because we weren't trained musicians that we could actually have a go, 
you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that inspired us. And then just at the same time, by coincidence, a kind of entry-level, cost-wise uh, synthesizers came out. Because before that, it was really expensive, kind of the stuff that only Keith Emerson could afford or, right. you know, all the big prog rock bands, mm-hmm. uh, who we loved, by the way. And... Um, and we thought, we want to be like that. And really, our, uh, one of our big inspirations was Roxy Music and Brian Eno. And um, he said, I remember distinctly, there was a, an article in, the, in uh, New Musical Express that said, it's a new world now. All you need to make a record is a synthesizer and a Revox tape recorder. Mm. And we went, we could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, we couldn't afford a Revox, but we got something similar, a Sony tape recorder, which you could bounce from track to track on. And so that's uh, essentially how we made our first records. We made being boiled like that. Wow. Uh, and that's why it's in mono, because um, literally we didn't have a mixing desk. All we had was a microphone, two synthesizers, and, uh, and a stereo tape recorder. Wow. 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 That's, that's, a, that's amazing. Yeah, really. And so, you know, a limit, the limited palette makes you very creative because mm-hmm. you have to f- do workarounds for just about everything, you know. Now, do you, um, oh. Necessity is the mother of invention, as they say. Mm-hmm. Do you play any conventional instruments? Um, well, I play keyboards a bit better than I used to, but not a whole heap better. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, you know, my tool is... My tool is my ears, you know, as a as a record producer and as a as a writer. You know, I I can I've always been able to imagine arrangements in my head. Wow! So so it's two things. One is that and have a sense of arrangement. And funnily enough, my son, who's nineteen years old, has inherited this talent. Thank God. Um, and and he also is not musically trained, but he's creating kind of very realistic Hollywood-sounding soundtracks for various installations that I'm doing at the moment. And he's just an amazingly talented dude. Wow. So, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I, I would like to think there's something in... Uh, I don't know where I got mine from, by the way, because neither of my parents were musicians. But um, it's just one of those things. I can, I can imagine... Uh, I have a natural talent for imagining, you know, kind of how things are constructed. And uh, if it sounds good, I do it. And so uh, it's very funny. I've got a funny story. When when we first brought out um, Penthouse and Pavement, um, at that time they still used to do um, sheet music for musicians of popular albums. And Penthouse and Pavement came out, and it was all these. You know, the music turned out to be in all these weird, um, you know, kind of key uh, keys. Which sure. I had no idea when we were writing this stuff that it was. And likewise with Luxury Gap, it was even more complex. And it was like, I'm going, God, I'm a jazz musician. You know, I had no <laughs> idea. Because I didn't know what the rules were. I didn't know if I was breaking them or not. And I right. still don't, really. Well, yeah, that's, but that's based on the paradigm of the regular musical staff, which if that's not where you're coming from... Not really, no. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine a world where... Somebody doesn't learn any kind of conventional musical notation, or or even how, or even kind of conventions about what instruments sound good with what instruments. Right. And every single sound has to be created from scratch using uh, just oscillators mm. and filters. 
well, that, resonators, and that, that's it. That's kind of how you wrote music, right? I mean, you kind of had, did you have, did you have thoughts in mind when you were writing your early stuff, like, like you didn't know keys or anything, so you're just going, no, no, this, no, this no, scratchy, low, no. creepy sound? Oh, no, we, yeah, that's more or less it, you know, it's kind of... <laughs> Like, uh, yeah, we, we were big fans of music, obviously, of all kinds. Mm-hmm. But I remember one of our earliest influences, for instance, with, um, I mean, well, I've already mentioned Eno, but people like um, Parliament Funkadelic were massive influences on what we were doing. Mm. That's, I mean, we were listening to that kind of music. We came from a kind of uh, appreciation of kind of northern soul in Britain as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we loved, and we never thought we'd be able to write anything that good, obviously, but we loved dancing to other people creating that kind of music. And also soul music and funk was a massive influence on us. So somebody like Bernie Worrell, who was the keyboard player for yes. Parliament Funkadelic, and all mm-hmm. the weird noises he used to throw into various compositions that he did were more of an influence than any kind of technical excellence right. in terms of um, keyboard playing. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that people who use synthesizers in an overly musical way, you know, like it was basically just another version of a kind of organ, um, right. I wasn't very interested in. I was only interested in the kind of dare, you know, in a way, it's part daring and part kind of completely blank canvas. You do what you want, you know? And uh, and the, there were no rules. And this is, like, really... We found it very exciting. The only rules we had, once we'd started writing proper songs, was to be um, authentic to the desire to write a great pop song. And mm-hmm. so that meant learning a bit about musical structure... Um, and about you know, you know things like pre-choruses and choruses and hooks, right. and uh, but we interpreted that that um, those kind of building blocks in our own way, and that's why you ended up with something that sounded like it came from Mars. <laughs> were you? Because we thought we thought what we were doing was absolutely brilliant. We thought. Oh, it's bound to get to number one this, because nobody's ever heard anything like this. And it sounds like a pop song. And in fact, we were a million miles away, but we were in an interesting place. And that's why people still find it interesting now, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just, I don't feel that the first two Human League records have aged in a, in a, in, in like a sensibility way. Like there's different instruments that can be used now. And, yeah. you know, there's a... No, I, th- I, think they're quite, I think they're quite influential and seminal, I suppose, in some ways. But I also think um, they were designed to be kind of timeless. To me, I would like to think of them, uh, and probably it's a little bit arrogant to say this, but I'd like to think of them as like going back to read a... Read a, a a classic science fiction novel from your from you know your teenage years, mm. for instance, you know like Harlan Ellison or so or you know some J.G. Ballard or something is it's kind of like he never really gets old because he was not of his time. Right, right. Where when you were little, did you sort of pick out weird little bits of songs <laughs> or cartoons? Like, did were you attracted to something else in? Yes, you know. I put it down to being growing up in the space age. 
Which is another yeah. reason, what obviously, why we all grew up loving America, because it symbolised a, a glorious, you know, and exciting and daring new frontier type future. Well, we had know. the rocket ships, yes. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, when you'd like, I don't know, I, I was born in 1956, so mm-hmm. I, I really, my formative early teenage years were all at the absolute height of all that stuff. I can't imagine anything more exciting. Imagine living through that. Yes. It's just the best thing ever, you know. Yeah. And uh, I feel sorry for people who didn't, to be honest. Um, and we haven't been back to the moon since. Right. You know, how weird is that for a start? And uh, I, I really think it had a major influence. And the idea that futurism was a, as, as a general philosophical kind of idea... I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm post-rationalizing this, but, uh, you know, the idea of looking to the future and everything that was in, uh, the, that, that could embody that in sound was a big driving force. So I, I used to literally be naturally attracted to records that incorporated unusual and futuristic sounds. I mm-hmm. mean, I, and, and if I go back in my history, I would probably even go back to, like, the early 60s, when I was like literally five, six, seven years old, listening to Sparky and his magic piano, for instance, oh. uh, with the uh, early use of Vocoder. What is you know, and I, I don't know what Sparky and the magic... You don't know that song? Uh, no. well, it, was Amer- it was American, actually. Oh, it okay. was basically a story. It was a children's record. Oh, got it. And, okay. And it, and it had a um, an amazing use of Vocoder on it. I didn't know where a vocoda was at the time, but it's basically a talking piano. Mm-hmm. And um, and um, so it's on Spotify somewhere. People should go and listen to it if they never heard it. It's quite amazing. It's a children's record, and um, it was very popular in Britain anyway. And I used to listen to it on the radio. And then, of course, a bit later on, things like um, you know things like the Beach Boys and their experiments with sound, which really evolved from. Um, tape manipulation, a lot of it as well. Mm-hmm. Also, a genius like Brian Wilson, having the the kind of almost um, uncanny ability to to identify exciting sounds that would combine into a new form of music. I mean, I think, for instance, the Beatles freely admitted that they 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 totally admired the Beach Boys. I know it was reciprocal, but. Um, you know, because I think actually looking back in it, and everybody goes on about the Beatles, but I think the Beach Boys were, I think, more innovative uh, hmm. than, than than the Beatles, and they were very much in competition at the time. Hmm. So things like the the kind of theremin sound on Good Vibrations, for instance, also things like um, uh, you know, um, you know, the sound of the wall, wall of sound, Phil Spector and. And production values like that, and you know, river deep, mountain high, things that sounded so utterly epic, and not so that to me sounded futuristic as well, even though there were no synthesizers involved. And so that went on to inform my, uh, you know, production style really. Mm-hmm. Very neat. Can you give me the name of that that children's thing again? Because I'm going to look for it. It was called Sparky and His Magic Piano. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to look that up. You need to listen to that. You really do. Really they did a follow-up record which uh, I can't remember what it was called now, but it was basically a talking train. So it was like 
the, all the sounds of like the chuff 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 of the train, but like then it was another thing where they mutated the sound of the steam to make it sound like it was speaking. This was all early technology, and I was just mesmerised by all this stuff. Wow! I thought it was brilliant, and I, and I was literally it was before I was ten years old. All this, so mm. it obviously went in. And I often, I often put down my love of all this stuff to the fact that I grew up in Sheffield, in uh, in the north of England, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a big steel town. It's the equivalent of Pittsburgh, I suppose, in uh, in the US. And um, and I remember uh, Sheffield is built on seven hills, like Rome. That's where the similarity ends. I assure you, mm. but um, the. The, they used to have massive uh, steel uh, forges, um, drop forges, uh, which made the most amazing, deep, resonant sounds, which used to resonate down the valleys of the hills. And I lived in the city centre, and on, on a still summer's night when all the windows were open, I used to lay there and listen to this kind of heartbeat of the city. And it was just... I used to love it, and I still love industrial architecture and the sounds of industry now. And I think that's informed uh, why I was so fond of the kind of music concrete approach to all this stuff. But also love pop music. So it's that combination of two things, really. I can totally hear that. That makes complete sense. My my first exposure to you, um, the Human League, I think was of the Mutant Pop, that fast product compilation. And it says that... Uh, I guess two, three, and the Human League were both from Sheffield, and that was a, it, it. had a little bit about geography on it, and I, you know, yeah. remember like looking <laughs> at it and seeing the map and going, "Oh, where are they from?" Oh, you know, I wanted to um, to congratulate you. You were just awarded the Gold Badge Award by the British Academy yeah, of Songwriters, Composers, right. and Authors. That's that's amazing. It's, it's it's something that, to be honest, that came out of the blue. But uh, I think if you live long enough, you eventually get some <laughs> stuff like this. But. Let's I'm, say you, you earned know, it. I, I would have appreciated it at a time where we could have actually sold some records on the back of it. But anyway, no, ah. I'm very grateful. It's fantastic. <laughs> That's funny. Um, what's the newest uh, Heaven Seventeen project? Well, um, next year. Um, we are looking to do some, um, well, first of all, finish off the, an album that we've been working on for the last two years because we're also busy doing other projects, as you can probably tell from your research. Yes. Um, and just getting the two of us in, this, in, the, in a room at the same time when we're not actually on the road or you know, performing is incredibly difficult. Um, so uh, we'll, you know, we'll be finishing the new Heaven 17 album. Um, secondly, we are going to be doing some, uh, shall we say, um, gigs uh, 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 at a higher level, uh, not just in terms of numbers of tickets, but um, kind of in, in kind of fancier venues, really, like theatres and uh, mm. big concert halls and stuff next year. And um, what we're hoping, actually, is once we've done these gigs in in the US that um there'll be more of an appetite for us to um or or rather promoters will feel a bit more confident about about saying putting a tour together for us in the US that'd be a nice thing to do. Oh cool. That be so um the the album that you're talking about is that the the tracks that are uh, not for public broadcast? 
Yeah. Now? Mm-hmm. But we need to finish the album. You know, it's just getting ridiculous now. I mean, we started it two and a half years ago. And uh, it's just, we're, we're not really, we're not deliberately delaying anything. It's just when, when one of us is free, the other one's busy, and it seems to just be a nightmare at the moment. So what we're going to have to do to finish the album, I think, is I'm, we've discussed it. Because the idea was originally for this album that we were going to go back to how we made what we regarded to be our favorite MSMT albums, where we were all in the room at the same time. Yes. And we just used to just knock it out mm-hmm. and just, you know, argue about it and do it and just do it, you know, rather than nowadays. The 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 thing is often people uh, remotely collaborate, you know. Mm-hmm. It's easy to send each other stuff and you work on it on your own. And I don't think that's as much fun. But I think we're going to have to do that just to get the bloody thing finished. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was going to ask you, um, since you started years ago with, you know, analog synthesizers, is there anything that technology does offer now that you are taking advantage of? Like, oh I'm, yeah, I'm guessing. You oh know, my goodness. Yeah, because I mean, the vast majority of what we use is um, digital now. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we have virtually every uh, replica that's in ex- that's in existence digitally of the functionality of every sizer, basically. Um, and uh, so that's, that, that is, in itself, is amazing. But you've constantly got to fight against the tendency to just be lazy. Yes. And, uh, and use the presets that they offer you. You know, you've got to dig, dig a bit deeper and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and design your own sounds. And then, you know, things like the Moog Modular, uh, Arturian Moog Modular is an amazing thing. I could never afford a Moog a real move modular when I was young and I use that all the time now for various things and so on and so forth and uh, um, and also the kind of sample technology now it's just mind-bendingly good you know you can create realistic sounding film soundtracks for instance mm-hmm. that sound like a real orchestra um, right yeah and uh, without without um, actually having to pay for it you know you could do it you could do it on a laptop, on headphones. It's just ridiculous. So, and also the good thing about writing <coughs> with new technology is you can work on multiple songs or multiple projects simultaneously. I mean, in the past, when you were working on an album, you literally had to leave. You had to book in a studio out for a couple of months at least and leave everything set up all the time because, you know, you couldn't you couldn't break it down and then get everything plugged up and recall it all the time. It would take you half a day to recall a lot of the complexity of it. Okay. Now it's just, it just comes up. So this really has increased, it sounds a bit kind of boring, but it's increased the efficiency of the workflow. You can create stuff much quicker and, and remember it much easier. It is and of course you've got virtually infinite storage now as well, whereas, you know, tapes used to cost an absolute arm and a leg in the past. Oh, that is true, so, yeah. I mean, you know, 150 quid for a reel of 24 track, which only held about 12 minutes. Um, <laughs> Is now, we did, I, once, I once did a track with Shaka Khan where we did 17 live takes. Wow. You know, it cost, wow. cost a fortune in tape alone, you know. Yeah. So, anyway. Is that um, one of the reasons why Heaven 17 and, and the Human League, when you were involved, um, didn't play live that much because you had so much... Um, you were leaning so much on synthesizers, and you can't 
I don't believe that you could have saved settings and that kind of thing. Well, we did we did do our best, but the point is, um, we didn't to create what we were doing, which is essentially like a chamber orchestra. But instead of it being strings or whatever, it would have had to be to perform it completely live. Would have required you know five or six synthesizer players, and we just didn't want to do that. You mm. know, it, it, it didn't make sense. So what we used to do was uh, originally we used to have uh, we used to thought right we're just going to be honest about this so we made an you know we made an effort to have the backing track on tape on stage mm. uh, and show it to people what was you know that he was there we didn't want to deceive people it's not like oh you know we're not doing anything live all the vocals were live and what we could play live was played live and to be honest it's pretty much the same now except you have much more flexibility. Uh, it's not a tape that's running in the background. Uh, there's various elements of the of the arrangements that are on on um, on the computer, which which you can uh, improvise around, you know, and and you can actually change the structure on the fly using various techniques. And so there is a live element to the stuff that's on tape. It's not all linear, etc., mm-hmm. um, etc. Et and you know, we don't want to look like a, a synthetic orchestra. Or that would be quite cool. Um, we like the kind of, should we say, the visual vernacular of being a band, you know. Mm-hmm. The, um, uh, how did you, you did a commercial for Plusnet that I found on uh, <laughs> on YouTube. It's really cute. It, yeah, it's funny. It's, um, how did, I like that, yeah. How did that happen? It was, it's adorable. Oh, well, they, they threw some money at us, so we did it. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's how it happened. Um yeah, they paid quite well for that, and and they wanted a bit of self-deprecating humour in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know? So I, the, the you know the background was obviously in Yorkshire. It's a different part of Yorkshire. It's more like um, the York, the Yorkshire Dales, as it's called, which is a beautiful part of the world. Uh, whereas we're more from the kind of urban, gritty kind of industrial north. But um, we just thought it was funny, and uh, and uh, we quite liked the fact it was a technology brand as well. So why not? Mm. Mm. Very, very cool. So my my special guest is Martin Ware, and the um, the appearance coming up is Wednesday twenty the twenty seventh of September at the Highline Ballroom. Heaven Seventeen is going to be in the U.S. This is your first United States gig, right? That's right. That's uh, actually crazy. Well, well, to be honest, mm-hmm. we have performed in the U.S. before, but it was just like a, a personal appearance type thing mm-hmm. to back in track. Uh, it's just the three of us, at, and it was at Studio Fifty Four in nineteen eighty one. Oh wow! And that was that was crazy. <laughs> that was crazy. Uh, all the legends are true. That's all I'll say. I'm not going any further than that. <laughs> I saw things that night that that I can never forget. Well, say no more, <laughs> Studio Fifty Four. Yeah, I'll keep it for my autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> that's for the um, that that's for the book, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, um, and um, do I ask you if there's going to be a, an old school human league reunion? Well, the funny thing is, as I was telling you before we went on air, um, for the last eight years, um, I've been floating the idea to Phil and the human league that it would be great just to put it to bed, to for us to do. Uh, even if it's only a one-off or two-off gig or whatever, maybe not a huge tour or anything, mm-hmm. but just it feels like unfinished business to me for mm-hmm. us to, 
to recreate the um, the first two albums live on one night. So you do, you know, in two halves. Wow. And I think it would be a fantastic thing to do. And what's more, we could recreate the way the the early Human League gigs looked with the projections, etc., and the slides. Mm. And I think it would be, ironically, is kind of <clears throat> more relevant now. It's more commonplace, that kind of a, a multimedia approach now than it was at the time. It was quite radical at the time. And so it makes perfect sense to me. But Phil's not going for it. And his management aren't going for it. In fact, I think his management said online, when loads of people were bugging him, he said, over my dead body, with, with the words. Oh, that's rude. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I think he was trying to put an end to the discussion online about it. Mm. And um, I think I thought it was quite rude. But anyway, the point being, uh, I still think it's a good idea. So we do perform with Hem 17 uh, quite uh, uh, quite a few early Human League tracks. Oh, and since we good. since we started doing that, the uh, the touring current Human League have stopped doing it. Oh, really? It's like they've turned their back on the first two albums, apart from being boiled. So um, I think that's sad. I say, I say, grow up. That's yeah, it. really, mm. really. Come on, I mean, I'm 61 years old. It's time to put away the toys now, and let's just get on with entertaining people. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, it's good to hear that that Heaven 17 is playing early Human League stuff because I wasn't sure, and of course that is that's. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We love doing it. In fact, yeah. And, uh, oh, of course. We, uh, as part of um, recently, it was for, it was the 40th anniversary of. The um, the start of Virgin Records, which is which was our label, and uh, back in the day, and um, they said, "Would you do a 40th anniversary gig in mm. London?" And we did, mm. and it was we thought we'll do something very special. So we did. We started off the gig with a with a 35 minute mini set of early Human League songs, and and it the crowd went insane, really. Well, and, uh, it's a long so time. So it's kind of given us food for thought, let's put it that way. The, I mean, up until, so the Human League has been playing the early stuff. See, there's so many people who have been waiting a long time to, to hear that stuff. And there's people that are waiting to see you here. Like it's, you know. Well, I'm so thrilled with that. And I really want to encourage people to, uh, to come to the Highline Ballroom gig because... Um, we are going, we're putting a lot of effort into this. It's going to be really good. Uh, uh, it's going to be unique, and uh, it'd be even unique for people who see us all the time in in, in UK and Europe. Oh, good. So um, there's going to be some special stuff that's not been seen before as well. Oh, sounds very so exciting. So I would strongly recommend. Mm-hmm. You, you heard have any, it, man. In electronic music, I guarantee we're quite entertaining. <laughs> Good. I'm, I'm not quite sure how to what what to say after that because that almost sounds threatening. <laughs> <laughs> um, You're going to come and see us, right? I I am going to do my best. Yes. Well, if you, you, you let, let us know, we'll put you on the list. Obviously. Oh, well, thank you. That is that is very nice. So, um, I know that you told me you had 20 minutes. That was 40 minutes ago. So um, was it? <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> Excuse my language. Yes, okay, so. But um, 
But I do apologize. I just got over it. No, 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 no. Listen, I'll have you on all day, but I know that you are very... <laughs> we talked about your schedule and how busy you are. No, so. I have to go or else the, my dinner will be in the dog. Right, right. So um, so thank you. Thank you for making the, the time. And, you know, there's so much of, like, progress that I feel that we need to thank you for just, you know... Oh, your, your your vision and I mean you had a lot of foresight about about where technology maybe was going to go and I think that you yeah. shifted like you have, you've made huge achievements that I hope that you're proud I'm of. I'm still pushing forward as well. I mean we've got you know I've got a company called Illustrious that does um, enormous public realm 3D sound installations. In fact, we've done several in New York in the mm-hmm. past, and um, I'm off to Shanghai in a couple of weeks to do one with with a university in, in Britain, all oh, about wow. the Thames. and oh, it's, Anyway, mm. you need to go and have a look at illustriouscompany.co.uk, and it's, uh, it's quite an interesting uh, uh, body of work for the last 17 years. That's a company that I formed with Vince Clark from Eurasia, by the way. Oh, very cool. Um, so, yeah, we, we appreciate you and thank you, and thank you for your dedication to, you know. No, well, yeah. I'm glad you asked me on, and um, yeah. I just hope, we, we're hoping we're going to, sell out the Highline Ballroom, and uh, hopefully we'll get to do some more gigs at some point in the not-too-distant future. And, you know, and I'll give you an invitation um, if you're coming out to do something else with Illustrious um, and you're in New York, you know, come in and do a guest DJ thing, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to do that. I do do guest DJing all the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it would be. It's all about the the kind of... um, not only just the electronic influences of the Human League and M17, but also the kind of funk, and uh, uh, which often gets forgotten, you know. Yes, that, yes. That everybody was listening to not just the super white Kraftwerk, We Are Robots thing, but also uh, a load of dance stuff, oh, which was yeah. all very, very concerned with electronic music at that time as well. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. Well, that, sound, that sounds like a plan. And uh, we'll go from there. Martin Ware, thank you very, very much. It's very kind of you. Thank you. And thank you to Martin for making the time to do a little bit of talking with me for the WFMU audience. Some of his links are heaven17.com and illustriouscompany.co.uk. And look for Heaven 17 playing at a venue near you. And that concludes another podcast episode. Thanks for tuning in. More on the way. I am Diane Kamikaze. Check my Twitter and Instagram. Handle is one word, Diane Kamikaze. And Kamikaze ends with an E. On Facebook, you can find me as Diane Kamikaze Farris, Rocker for Life. My regular WFMU program right now airs Thursdays, noon to 3 p.m. for an expanded version with lots of music, wisecracks, ticket giveaways, music news, and other fun stuff. Check me there. The full link to my index of WFMU programs, including podcasts and regular radio shows, is wfmu.org slash playlists slash DK. That's a capital D and a capital K. I'm going to be working on Encore presentations, and I've got years of old interviews and podcasts. So if there is something that you'd like to see reposted, whether you missed it or whether you just loved it and want to hear it again, 
drop me a line at diane at wfmu.org and request that. Be sure to subscribe to the show if you like it. Please rate it and review it. And there you go, WFMU peer pressure. Thank you. See you next time.